You okay? Bada boom. Big. Big. Yeah, big bada boom. Big. Bada big boom. Big. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, big bada boom. Bada boom. <laughs> big ba boom. Big bada boom. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. It's good to be back again for another week. Another week. Double Impact. Or yep. in theme with uh, today's episode, Le Double Impact. Ah, oh, oui, oui. Meaning mm. twice the impact, of course. Ah, uh, uh, double impact de. For those omnilingual friends of ours. Mm, and the Frenchies. Shout out to our, how many French downloads have we had? Uh, it depends where Stackers is located. What does that mean? Friend of mine. He lives between New York and Paris. Ah, that sounds so glamorous. He what? married a French chick. In the ocean. <laughs> under the sea. Yeah, in Atlantis. Ooh. A film we're talking about today was directed by a man, a Frenchman, who made a documentary about Atlantis. Did he? Full circle. I used to have a computer game, uh, an Indiana Jones computer game on my PC. Oh, yeah. Lost City of Atlantis. Did you ever play the Indiana Jones series of games? No. They're pretty cool. Like a point and click type of deal? Like a control the little manny. Oh, really? Around the screeny. On a PC? Yeah. Oh, interesting. They were I never, good. I never they were really good. had any of those games. Uh, fifth Element. Le Cinq Element. I wonder if it was called that in France. I never even, didn't even look into that. Um, it came out in May 1997. <laughs> <laughs> 1997 for uh, people who aren't quite as uh, bilingual as us. Uh, people that speak Australian. Australian. $90 million budget. At that point, the most expensive film ever made outside of Hollywood. Wow. Yeah, with a return of... Wow. <laughs> with a return of two hundred and sixty three point nine million dollars. Let's call it let's call it two hundred and sixty four. Two hundred and sixty four million dollars. Yes. Yeah. Not bad. Not a bad performance. Mm -hmm. Did all right. Critic score of seventy one percent, audience score of eighty seven percent. And I'll tell you what, I have had that reaction. Everyone we tell that we're doing this episode, they're like, Oh yeah. It's been positive. It's been the, positive. The anecdotal feedback pre-recording has been positive. It has. It has. So we're hoping this could be a blockbuster for us. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe <sighs> it'll. Maybe it'll scrape into the top ten. Should we? We've done ninety nine ninety seven before. Uh, ninety ninety seven. Good year. Interesting year. Mm. Uh, the birth of Buffy and South Park. The death of Princess Di and Ooh. Biggie Smalls. Ooh. It was a partially terrible year for music, Mbop, Barbie Girl, um, but I think Radiohead released OK Computer. Oh, that was a game changer. Robin released Show Me Love. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't realise that was the same Robin. I know, you right? You know how like hipsters love Robin? Is it hipsters? I don't know what it is. It's just like she's a thing. And I didn't realise that was Robin Robin. Is it the gays? No, nah, it's beyond that. It's like a, yeah, it's interesting. I, I love she's Robin. huge. I mean, yeah. She's I didn't. Cool. Yeah, that song that came the. I didn't realize, and I remember I, I always saw that in the back of my head. Oh yeah, like that chick from the nineties. But it is the chick from it the nineties. It is 90s. the chick yeah. from the nineties. That's cool. From, from Sweden. Come on, it. Come Sweden. It. I was living with some Swedes at the time of the of the new song coming out, and they were very proud of Robin. Is it like a Kylie Minogue type of thing for them? Maybe. Maybe they were pretty proud. Yeah, good for them. They liked that I knew her, but I was like, yeah. Fair enough. She's I mean, pop. it's like Bjork, man. She's Iceland's biggest export, like mm. in terms of the economy. <laughs> Even over the uh, toothfish. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, to the toothfish is a bit of a cash cow, but um, Bjork scrapes slightly ahead. Speaking of which, did you mm. watch uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch? I did. Yeah, I was just amazed at my meta. Speaking of which, oh, did you Teenage Witch? I didn't even pick up for that. That's the extent of my genius. <laughs> Yeah, big year, 1987, many things. Big year for movies too. So um, some notable ones, Batman and Robin, um, obviously hailed as one of the greatest Batman movies ever made, at, le at least in the top 20. 
Top 20 of Batman. <laughs> um, Scream 2, Goodwill Hunting, Starship Troopers, which oh, we, need, we need to get some Verhoeven in here. And actually, I've got a point on that later. We need some Verhoeven in here. Um, Volcano, Dante's Peak, Twin Year, Face Off, Con Ed. Uh, but the top 10, in terms of the top 10, uh, number one, Titanic. Number two, uh, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Number three, Men in Black. Number four, Tomorrow Never Dies, Batman. Number five, Air Force One. Number six, As Good As It Gets. Number seven, Liar Liar. Number eight, My Best Friend's Wedding. Number ten, The Full Monty. I skipped number nine because you know what number nine is? Le Sonk Element. Le Sonk Element. It was a box office success. Uh, yeah, I, I was surprised by that. I didn't think it was. It really just un. I, I've just lost half my notes and, <laughs> and points. I wonder if it was in Australia. Maybe it wasn't. Sacre bleu. This is going to be a short episode for me. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the, for the most expensive movie ever made outside of Hollywood, that may be considered not the, the not the return they were expecting. It is interesting, though, that movies like As Good As It Gets and Liar Liar and About Best Friend's Wedding are in the top ten. I don't think you'd see that these days. No, because they're uh, not superhero movies. Yeah, because there's no superheroes in them. But also, like, uh, yeah, fuck, it is pretty much superhero. But they say, like, um, Netflix movies are, are allowing for the rebirth of the rom-com because that's, like the, that's the altitude of where that movie can exist. People wouldn't go to the oh. cinema for a rom-com anymore, but it's, like, a good Netflix situation. Do they not? Apparently, they don't make them anymore. And if they do, it's often a, a Netflix kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I never a, did. I was habitually single, so <laughs> what? there's nothing there. Yeah. Um, should we talk about The Fifth Element? Yeah. What go. was your experience with The Fifth Element? Uh, as a youth? As a, as a youth. You know what? It wasn't – I don't think I loved it. Right, okay. Um, because – When do you think you first saw it? I mean, you wouldn't have seen it at cinema. I well, it's Bru- It is Bruce, though. Yeah, a big Bruce Willis fan. Yeah. Is that first Bruce? We did Pulp Fiction, but I feel like it wasn't quite yeah. a, a pure Bruce vehicle. No. Um, Nor so is this, I would argue. This, yeah. yeah, true. And maybe I think the problem with this was that I was expecting John McClane. Oh, it's probably a bit like um, watching The Cable Guy and expecting Jim Carrey fair. Yeah, well, that's a point I was going to make. Later. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm still going to say I'm still it. reading your mind. Get out of my head. <laughs> and I remember um, – I was a big Chris Tucker fan as well from Friday. And, and this is a departure. <laughs> and this was also a departure. It wasn't – had he done the um, movie with Jackie Chan? No. Rush Hour was later, I believe. Is Rush Hour later? Yeah, for sure. Uh, he must be because he got more jacked. Ah. There's like a distinct – Steroid Transformation. Period. Well, he'd already been smoky, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I knew him as smoky. What the fuck you doing stealing boxes for? What you trying to build a clubhouse? This movie is actually a bit of a Friday reunion. Is it? Debo. Oh, Debo's in it. Debo's of course. The president. Debo's the president. President Debo. That's outstanding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, for me, uh, yeah. I can't I couldn't tell you the first time I watched it specifically, but I feel like it is one of those movies that you find somewhere in your own time and you're pleasantly surprised. Or at least what really? I did. I'm sure I, m- I must have watched it. Early. I might have watched it later, yeah. Yeah. And and also with Bruce, I'm a bit like I like Bruce Willis, but I'm not like uh it wouldn't be like the Jim Carrey scenario for me so much. Yeah, you wouldn't like name your son Bruce. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's interesting because I I mean I, I was hypothesizing before because everyone Ooh. I've spoken to about this movie, it seems like the kind of movie you sort of discover in your own time and realize wow. it's pretty good. And so, yeah, I was thinking, I wonder if a lot of people wow. had that experience of just, I don't really Stumbling. know what this is. And then, so you feel some kind of ownership of it, of like, I feel like I've written, discovered this. Written this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember being a little bit challenged by Chris Tucker in this at the time. And, you know, I was a young man and still probably a little close-minded in my views of masculinity. And so that was probably the only hurdle in, like, my first watch of this movie. Um, um, it feel okay. I was gonna say exactly the same thing. Really? So we had a similar. I had here. This was probably peak private school me. Right. So I'd suffered the indoctrination of jock culture, where yeah. these sort of alternative characters are like, yeah, frowned upon. 
And it's interesting. I mean, we'll get into how it's aged, but I feel like it is such not not just because of our age, but in 2019, uh, there's things in this that seem so like crazy then that just are pretty. I wouldn't say vanilla now, but not yeah. not that crazy. At well, all. he's peroxide hair. For yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Uh, I bought a coffee from someone today with peroxided hair. What? Yeah. Well, do you know, I actually peroxided my hair in about two th- in the year 2000, about three oh, years later. Oh, did it go that weird orange? Orangey? No, I went pretty blonde. I had one. They called me Mr. Sheffield because I did a little, <laughs> did a little <laughs> front. And my dad left it in too long. He was like, I'll do it for you. But it went white. Um, should I get into the origin story? I would like you to. All right. Origin story. So this particular picture is very much a relatively single-minded vision from one Luc Besson. You know, sometimes... Not Besson? Uh, Besson. Besson. Uh, he started writing this movie when he was 16 years old. Ah. And, of course, when this movie came out, he was 38. He talks a little bit about why. So basically he grew up like, I don't know, pretty far out of Paris and there wasn't much to do. So it was just him and his creativity. Creatively. I was living in the neighborhood of Paris at 60 kilometers. When I opened my window, the only thing I have was cows. So at 16, you want to escape. (laughs) The best way to escape was to take a pen and then write. So I start to write this story of this guy. He was actually pretty stupid. And the the book was about how how he's going to become intelligent in a way. Lilu was not there yet, so I wrote 200 pages, threw it on the garbage because it was bad, and I wrote 200 pages more that I threw again. I struggled with the story for a long time, and then one day I went to visit my dad and my younger sister, Fanny, and she was doing her homework about Platon and the fifth element. And I said, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm looking for, because I was already like around that, and I totally forgot that Platon Obviously, he did it before me. <laughs> so I, I, I was inspired by Plateau. So growing up on a farm and reading a little bit of Plato is the secret formula here. But it's interesting. This is similar to a super bad situation. You know, well, not similar. similar. It's funny. Similar plots in, also. In France, they write a space opera as a teenager. In America, they write a teen comedy about drinking and drawing penises. Did the alien... Look like cows because he had cows around when he was a kid? Ah, interesting. Well, there is some very distinct visual choices made here by some very creative types, which I'll get into in a second. So that initial version of the story he wrote, they say it was pretty shit, but I think it's interesting the idea of writing initially when you're 16 and then revisiting it as an adult because that's kind of, if we're doing like an ideation technique at work, often the first part divergent thinking and trying to get outside of the sensible part of your brain and blah, blah, blah. And then you do convergent thinking and you bring it in and make it all make sense. He kind of did that, right? 16-year-old, 38-year-old. You take like that weird thing you wrote in your 16, you turn it into something that actually kind of works. Police. It's interesting. Cops. Police cops. It is interesting. Maybe I can make a movie out of Microman. Yeah, call it (laughs) G.I. Joe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Real um, American hero, <laughs> but yeah, in that original story, it was slightly different. He wasn't he wasn't a cab driver. He was just a nobody named Zoltman Bleros. Bleros. He wins that trip as per, um, and he meets Lilu on the trip. On the trip, and he's taken by her beauty and youth, youth and <laughs> fuck beauty and youth, despite being over two thousand years old. Sorry, I was reading that from the wiki. Is as it um, maybe able to tell? Yeah, it's interesting. He calls out youth. Go on. Yeah. Go on. We'll get back to that. There's there is some there's something it sounds like you've discovered too in the process of researching this film that taints the whole fucking thing. Let's <laughs> save it for the end. Fuck man. It's not good. Yeah. <sighs> he continued to work on this script again for years. By nineteen ninety one he had four hundred pages of stuff. And I think it was gonna be three movies at some point. So there's lots lots of lots of stuff. Um in in the film circles we call that a trilogy. Uh trilogy. Meaning of three. Um in the meantime he made a, a bunch of movies, had had some successes. Le Vent Dinière, don't know what that is. Le Dinier Combat, don't know what that is. Subway, um, The Big Blue, don't know what that is. Nikita, I know what that is. That's Assassin. 
the mm -hmm. assassin in America or in Australia, I think it was called uh -huh. that. Um, there was Nikita or La Femme Nikita. They eventually made a TV show with it too. And I think that's pretty good, right? What about uh, No Women, No Kids? Correct. So Luc Besson also made Leon the Professional. No Women, No Kids. That is a sick movie. That is a good movie, but there is some stuff in that movie that again alludes to something we learned about this man that is not great. Yeah. Um, can, yeah, can we can we separate the artist from the art? Yeah, I mean that's we, a that's a whole fucking thing, isn't it? We're not we're not capable. It's so. not our shtick, but we do. We're here make for sure the lulls, baby. We want to report the truth, and we will get to that topic. Um, so he's made some movies. He's made some movies. In the meantime, um, especially off the back of Leon the Professional, he's getting a bit more clout. Uh, he gets a producer on board, Patrice Ledeux, but then. What's quite cool is he recruits these two French comic book artists. One, Jean Girard, also known as Mobius. You know that Mobius artist? It ring, it's so it's remember tingling last, a bell. Remember the other week we were talking about um, that South Park episode where they go into that cartoon? That cartoon's called Heavy Metal. That's this guy's thing. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We couldn't remember. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember, remember it. Yeah. It was one of those ones, again, where we're saying all the words around it. <laughs> it's like this metal and it's yes. heavy. On this point, it's can like we. It's like riding dinos. <laughs> can we just say thank you to the friends of the show that politely updated us that the program we couldn't quite articulate in the Transformers episode last week was Dino Riders. Apparently there were a lot of people yelling at us while they were listening to the show. Dino Riders. Dino Riders! <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, he gets these guys on board. So the first one, Mobius, but then also another artist called Jean-Claude Messeroy. I really hope these are how they're pronounced because no, usually I'm, gonna, I'm terrible I'm gonna, with names. Yeah, I'd say you're off the mark. <laughs> it sounds like she said Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude Messeroy. It's M-E-Z-I-E-R-E-S. Messeroy. Messeroy. Yeah, maybe. All right, so this is quite cool. So he's owning his inspiration here is like I love your visual style and your artwork like I want you to be the you know design the look of this movie like it's fucking cool the city the all that kind of shit and specifically yeah uh, there's a book by that second guy Jean-Claude Mazeret called The Circles of Power that had like the futuristic New York City and the yellow taxi flying taxi thing oh, yeah. that was like I want that in the movie all right uh, he's, he's a taxi driver now Dallas is a taxi driver now Apparently, I've heard of that. I've read a few different conflicting stories about how he became a taxi driver. Apparently, his dad was a taxi driver too. I don't know, but apparently, that visual inspired him and it was fucking cool. Did you but, watch this with Ara? Yeah. Was she all like, taxis in the future? I don't think so. Why? Because she works at Uber. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. But everyone, yeah, it's a good point. Carol did, even she doesn't work at Uber. I didn't even think that, actually. Carol's. It's just like, pfft. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. Sorry, I digress. You <laughs> digress. Um, but that was, that was a big part of it. And um, I'm going to come back to that later because there's some interesting little ripples through culture um, that would eventuate from there. And, I'll be listening. <laughs> and interestingly, speaking of watching this with uh, Ara, my wife, she was like the – why did you do bunny ears when you said wife? Um, <laughs> for the record, I did not. I did not. It's funny if you did that. <laughs> Sorry. That is good. Um, <laughs> she was like, I love the um, the look of the fashion in the future. Like it's high fashion. The pastiche. Yeah, and it is because it's Jean-Paul Gaultier. It's, it's no other than. Jean-Paul Gaultier. Yeah. Uh, so he was the costume designer. She's and pretty ballin'. It's fucking cool. So that guy, there's comic book artists and they brought in a couple other artists too. They became, like they went to town and they, they became like the artistic directors of this movie. And yeah. They designed, Gautier designed every single costume you see. They did, between them, they did over 8,000 drawings. Uh, fucking cool. And I think it comes through. There's so much visually delightful and we'll get through all that. But it, fuck, man. Good stuff. Pretty cool. <laughs> Very cool. Did you, um, just on Jean-Paul Gaultier, mm. um, now the 90s saw, I would say, a handful of fragrances that every young male wore. Paco? Was it Paco? Paco Rabanne would be in that. Was that, what was his one? He, I did have, I had it. This one. Ah, uh, yeah. What's that called? Le, Le Male. <laughs> wow. The one with the, like the torso of a blue man. Yeah, that's right. Classique, le mal, parfum de Jean-Paul Gaultier. 
I had a few mates that rocked that one. Yeah. It was, uh, I was more of a Tommy or a polo sport guy. I liked the fruit, I remember there were like ones the like ones. Cool Water. That was a cool one. Yeah. And then, yeah, and, and CK1. CK1. Yeah. Classic. That was big. That was big. I used to rock a bit of Eternity, CK Eternity. That was like hot property for people to shoplift as well. That was huge. Was it? I wouldn't yeah. know. I didn't, but other other more dangerously. You just bought it for 20 bucks off the Yeah, end. probably. Yeah. Or, or if someone found one of those stores that sells them real cheap, that was like a big deal. Yeah. I don't wear cologne ever though. Yeah, I did though. Yeah. The casting process. We'll talk about the cast later on, but just in terms of the process, there's a few pre-casts here that are pretty interesting. Oh, I don't. Oh, yes, I do. Could you imagine a Mel Gibson as, fuck, I forgot the main character's name. Corbin Dallas. As Corbin Dallas, Mel Gibson. Corbin Dallas. I would be less interested. I find, I mean, maybe that's just me talking now. I think he'd be great in it. Yeah, really? Uh, yeah, I'm a big male fan. Yeah. Okay. He's, Jean he's Reno. got the right amount of crazy. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, if I think of Lethal Weapon version. And Mel Gibson's awesome. I just think Let's of him as older, that. grumpy, racist yeah. man now. But Please don't. No, you're right. I've got to think of him as younger. Well, no, we can't We can't dismiss. Character-wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, would, he, he could have squeezed right in there. You're right. The there was also talk of Jean Reno from obviously Leon, uh, did not happen. Uh, uh, he would have been good as well. He would have been good. Yeah, that could face have off against his old nemesis Gary Oldman from yeah. Leon. Man, Gary Oldman's such a fucking machine. He's pretty special, isn't he? Yeah, uh, but if, if they were trying to save money, and so they weren't going to go for a big actor, but then they got to talk in, and Bruce is like, "Well, if I like it, we'll come to an arrangement," and you know, whatever they, I guess they came to an arrangement. Gary Oldman was obviously in Leon right before this, so he's on. They were also old buddies. And Luc Besson was investing, uh, put some money forward to help Gary Oldman make a movie. A home movie? No, he he directed or produced something. Fuck, I can't remember what it is now. But part of that, it was kind of a friendly, well, yeah, I'll do that, go on my movie, yada, yada, yada. And um, they did. And then um, internet hyperbole, they saw millions of women for Lee Lu. <laughs> Some quarters of the internet say 200, some say 5,000. So let's say a million. 5,000 million. <laughs> yeah, 5,000 million. But there was only one Mila. Actually, she screwed it up first time round. She came all, you know, dressed up, made up, and then and with a little um, supermodel attitude. But she was just like too, wasn't Lilu. And then. Um, not vulnerable she, enough. Yeah, not vulnerable <clears> enough. <throat> she was too cool. Cool is basically, I think, what they said. So she didn't get the part. And. Soon after. She met with Luke private, <laughs> no. privately. Well, he ran into her at uh, the Chateau Maman. Uh, he saw her just dressed not with her plainly. makeup on, dressed plainly, T-shirt, jeans. and Small and panties like, oh, okay, this by is the pool, Chateau dre- Maman. Dressed, dressed in bandages and orange hair. And he was like, huh. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Le huh. <laughs> yeah. So he's in. And then we get to Chris Tucker. So I thought this was internet bullshit, but then I actually saw I was one of the producers or Besson himself say they were trying to get Prince and Prince was sort of in talks. Prince was in, in the mix. Yeah, they were like, yeah, but the thing with Prince was like you'd, you'd make an appointment and it'd show up a week later or like it was just too unreliable. I read that he said the costumes are too effeminate. Yeah, so that's the thing. He um, That was my Prince, by the way. <laughs> but it's, is that weird that yeah. Prince yeah. who – who was notorious gender bender in the eighties? Yeah, um, well, the clothes are a bit much, though, aren't they? <laughs> the costumes are too much. Well, Tucker, I just want to play some basketball. Chris Tucker said he saw Prince at a club after the movie came out and told him he was supposed to play the part, and that the clothes were a little bit too much for him. <laughs> Chris Tucker's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and it, um, Chris Tucker talks about the him taking this role here. I think it's interesting just because, especially for me, I assume for you too, and probably for a lot of our listeners, it's such, it seems so, it's not like he's done a ton of this kind of thing since either. So it's, it seems so out there. How did he choose this? How did it choose him? Mm. We didn't know nothing about the movie, nothing about it. Um, even Bruce Willis didn't know till he got to London and he read the script. I read the script when we, uh, I got to London but it was uh, right before we started filming, so we only took uh, what uh, Luke Poussin told us, and we had to go by that. And it was kind of hard, but it was uh, kind of fun in a way because you, I keep you, it kept me excited about what was going to happen. 
Yeah, so there's a few stories like that too where people didn't know the full context of the movie. They're reading these roles. I don't think he means that in a way of like he didn't want to do it. I think it's more – it's just just interesting. Well, once once he was in front of that camera – Oh, there, yeah, the rest is was, history, there baby. There was no doubt he was, was into no it. No doubt. He leaned right in on that one. Good on him. Right in. Right in. Good on him. Yeah, fuck like – Fucking good on him because you can imagine like your big breakout is an Ice Cube movie. Going from that to this, like that takes balls, man. Yeah, takes I mean, balls. from a costume perspective, back to Prince, it's, you could argue it's a slightly bigger delta mm. for Smokey into this character <laughs> versus Prince than, in this character than Purple Rain. Yeah, into right? this guy. Yeah, like this character could get around in Purple Rain gear. Totally. That could have, and that you wouldn't bat an eyelid. Yeah. No. Anyway. That's a bit much for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, Maybe um, that was the gag. Uh, anyway. Well, then, then, they, then they made the movie. Apparently, Prince is, was hilarious. Really? Apparently, he's a hilarious man. Really? Yes. Ah. So maybe he was being a smartass. I mean, well, the whole Dave Chappelle thing, you know when um, Prince released a single a couple of years ago called Breakfast Can Wait? And on the cover of that single, pancakes. he was Dave Chappelle with the pancakes. How good is that? What a legend. So he must uh, be funny. Yeah. But, yeah, the rest is history. They made the movie. They shot the movie. They had a rap party at the house Bruce Willis was living in and he performed for them with his harmonica and his rock and roll stylings. And yep. I'm sure people left shortly after that. Um, should we play the trailer and then get into the movie? Yeah. Every 5,000 years... Remove the shield. When the three planets are in eclipse, the black hole like a door is open. Evil comes, spreading terror and chaos. There's nothing that can stop this. There is only one thing. Perfect. The Mondachiwan have in their possession the only weapon to defeat evil. Four elements gathered around a fifth. Selected for a mission of the utmost importance. What mission? Save the world. <laughs> is, uh, is that thing solid? Unbreakable. Good. Where are the stones? I don't know. And even if I did know, I wouldn't tell somebody like you. Nowhere else to go. Not a great trailer for the for the audio format. <laughs> you want to fill in some of the blanks? Tell yeah, tell anyone's. the gang what what actually went down in this movie. Yeah, I'll give you a synopsis. Uh, I would say that this film is for the people out there that are battling, mm. down on their luck, facing the gutter, mm. clothes ripped. Yeah, no sleeves. Yeah. Orange singlets. Orange singlets. Hair falling out. And it's here to remind us that no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter how grim the situation may be, at any point, a beautiful alien human race saviour might fall into the back of your flying cab (laughs) and bless you with a series of bright, colourful adventures, mostly funny, sometimes touching, yeah. That's it. Accurate. What I thought you were going to say, no matter what stage. And of, then you save the world. You say, no matter what stage of male pattern boldness you're at, <laughs> you can always give it a little peroxide and uh, reclaim your youth. Apparently, it was a wig, too. I did notice that it looked like a, a weird hairline. Yeah, I thought he was going through some like plugs or something. Yeah, same. Then I was it like, looked, did he ever do that? It looked terrible. But then it's like, if you're going to wear a wig, wear a wig. Yeah, wig it. Wig it hard. As a bald man, I'm not going to wear no. Receipt a wig? Yeah, it's like this is – if we're not doing a real thing, it's like, yeah, like – All in. Get in there. I'm a 
Shaggy Man. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what, what were your initial thoughts? Uh, I, well, given how much I probably didn't really understand it when I was young, and I look mm. to be fair, I've watched this movie a few times yeah. since. And it's a delight. It's, it's bright, it's colourful, it's got yeah. some great performances. It's an easy follow. It's a good Sunday hang movie. Yeah. Hung movie. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty short. Well, it's just over two hours, but it's, it feels short. It's over two hours? It's over two hours. Sacre bleu. Sacre bleu. Wow. And the amount of, it does a lot of work in two hours though. Like you're watching this thing. This is a whole new world of stuff. The world building in this, you feel. I feel like you kind of get it pretty quickly, mm. like the sense of what this world is, which yeah. is, I think that's not easy to do without explaining stuff. You know, often movies are like there'll be a narrator and says, "The year is two two thousand three hundred. We have flying taxis now." Or they'll go, "But there's war." Or yeah. they'll go, or they'll have some scene that over-explains everything yeah, through the dialogue. Exactly, like just. Oh, I can't believe I'm a ex-veteran cab driver here in two thousand three hundred sixty-four. Yeah. And yeah, there's weapons everywhere. If only there was an element, not the first four of them, but another one that would help us get through this tough time. Like, that doesn't happen. It's Save good. us from that screaming ball yeah. of heat mass. And what an odd world it is. Actually, it reminded me, have you ever played Odd World Abe's Odyssey, that old PlayStation game? It rings a bell, but... The aesthetic is really. very similar. That kind of... Oh, yeah, that smoky industrial vibe. I was thinking this is... The aesthetic of this movie is like a cross between... Blade Runner and Futurama. It's kind of got like the Blade industrialness of Blade Runner yeah, and the quirky cool. colourfulness of Futurama. I like it. I did play Oddworld. Yeah, right? That It's got a similar vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah, um, which obviously came after this, so it makes sense. I think it did, yeah, would have come after this. Um, Ruby Rod, I learned his name this time, Chris Tucker's character. He was in it a lot more than I realised and it was fucking great, man. Yeah, he was pretty great. <laughs> This boy is fused like fire. So start melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. He's hot. And then also similar to the the Odd World thing, it does have a, a few notes of a Paul Verhoeven kind of vibe too. Yeah, Robocop kind of thing. It wasn't as like violent, but it had that kind of yeah. Everything's just heightened and yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, those were my initial thoughts. Uh, question for you. Yeah. Is it a sci-fi movie? Uh, that's a good point because I was thinking about this because based off our previous conversations, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm quite strict on the definition of sci-fi. Yeah. And that being sci-fi should be based on a scientific concern of today projected into the future. So what if robots? What if AI? What if there's usually like a central big if, idea, yeah. which means that things like Star Wars oftenly bucketed into sci-fi don't actually qualify. Uh-huh. That's just fantasy yeah. set in a wherever the fuck. That's fantasy. I would say this is probably ultimately fantasy, but maybe slightly closer to sci-fi, but it's uh, ultimately fantasy, surely. That's where I was landing. Yeah. It just didn't really have that sort of questioning, as you say, that what if behind yeah. it. There's no, there's not that big idea, that hook of yeah, like. It didn't have a big idea, but if it. we could do this, should we do this? There's no like mm. the precogs in fucking whatever that movie was with Tom Cruise. Minority Report. The Minority Report. Basically, any Philip K. Dick <laughs> story. Yeah. It's not one of Dick. those. <laughs> when yeah. will that name not be hilarious? Right. Although speaking of, there are some interesting interpretations of the movie. Oh yeah. I mean, some of them sound obvious, and I feel like it's more evident in the rewatch. They were kind of the notes I was picking up in the rewatch, but probably didn't think about when I first watched it as a teen or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But just that, what what is the fifth element? Is it love? Is it humanity? You know that kind of thing. Like, what is actually Lilu? Is, is she it a personification? I think she was like a teen still, maybe. But yeah, that idea of is she the embodiment of love or humanity or something, and that. That big ball of fire is the embodiment of hate and oh yeah, because the violence. green, the green, the blue lady's like she needs your love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, or is it that Bruce plus her equals love, which is because ah. you know when they're kissing at the end, and that's when that everything gets saved. Ah. Like, is it is it love? So that's interesting. 
la, la mort. In which case, does she just need to be the perfect thing for Bruce to fall in love with to make that last thing happen? I just thought of that, and then that's interesting. Whoa. Wow. I, I, I read another theory today that was interesting. I went, I went deep on the Reddits today just looking for other fan theories because it felt like one of those movies where there'll be some juicy ones. I had a peek in the Reddit. In the Reddit. The one I read was that a lot of the other people that helped her along the way were symbolic of the other elements. So like that opera singer, the diva being water. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was the best one. Ooh, okay. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. That was great. That was so good. <laughs> took, took it out of me. Oh, that's he's, he's fainted. Greg. <laughs> That was so good. Um, uh, yeah, and I can't remember what the other ones were, but that was kind of interesting. But it felt like it felt like fan theory that wasn't tight enough for it to quite work. But I, I kind of like it, and I think the movie really works on that level. But if you really try and dissect too much of the plot, it's pretty fucking confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's just good to just watch. Yeah, with just the, experience with the nice it. costumes. Yeah, just don't overthink the plot too much because a lot of it doesn't make that much sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's fine. It's like, that kind of movie. Like the taxi. Well, yeah, why do you think this movie works? It's colourful. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It's fast. Yeah. It's an it's like a fa- fantasy action flick. And I reckon. With sci-fi. Uh, yeah. Sci-fi like ambitions. Yeah. And I reckon that just. He, he, it's a, if a kid wrote sci-fi. Yeah, ex- exactly. So I think that's an important part of the, the equation, right? Because. You look at a movie like this, uh, you think this guy's an auteur. He wrote this, he directed it, like he's got a pure vision of it and he makes these things like a Scorsese, like a Tarantino. But then you look at the rest of his filmography and it's not really that kind of stuff. Like yeah. he did Leon the Professional, it's cool. And he's done, I mean, to be fair, maybe my ignorance, maybe the French equivalence of this kind of awesomeness. But he made a movie called Valerian a few years ago mm-hmm. that was widely expected to be like it's the new fifth element because it has a few things in common with fifth element which i'll get into later but it just wasn't quite there so yeah. it's interesting i wonder if the the secret ingredient to this was the childlike wonder of a 16 year old staring at cows it's kind of <laughs> <kinda> cool <laughs> in rural paris in rural paris because you know picasso says every child is an artist uh, but then they, the problem is, is remember well, i can't remember how it goes the problem is they forget it when you become an adult or something. I can't remember. Staying an artist is the challenge or something like that. Yeah. So it really is, I feel like it's bringing to life the the creative process in its most extreme form, you know. The, no bounds, the, the imagination of a child. Did you ever write something and then have, uh, like, have read it before you had honed and then like, this is shit? That's every fucking day at work, man, because you, you can't, especially in a pitch scenario, so we work in advertising, I think we said that before, but in a pitch scenario, you're in a really tight timeline. So if I'm writing a strategy, I need to get everyone on board, but there's going to be holes in that strategy at the speed we're going, but yeah. I need you to just run with me here. Yeah. This, this have approach, a little faith, people. Have a little faith. You see where it's going. It's kind of making sense, right? What about this? Yeah, I'm getting to that. What about this? Yeah, yeah, we'll figure that out. But this broadly feels like the right kind of direction. Well, I don't know. Like it's a fucking pain in the ass. So every day is like that. If you're listening, colleagues <laughs> of Tristan, no, o- and actually, Octavio, <laughs> Octavia. Actually, to be fair, a lot of people I work with now are pretty cool. Often it's working with other agencies and things, which to be fair, they don't know me and so it can be hard to have that trust. But but to your, answer your question, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst, man. It's the worst. And again, another quote about that is I think um, uh, Stephen King says, write alone, write with the door closed. Edit and love with your heart open. <laughs> <laughs> or edit with a door open, I think it was. So, like, get your vision down first and then bring in other people to edit it. Because ideas are fragile when they start. And don't go up there. A lot of history on that, right? Yeah. So I, it's interesting. I thought this was a uh, box office failure and I did, like, this. I it, thought it was too. I put these thoughts into, like, interesting. But that's a global box office. Maybe it was big in Europe or something. Maybe. You should look into that. Because... Yeah, I started thinking about how other like there's it's not the first and probably won't be the last movie that is expected to do well and doesn't, but yeah. it actually might be a good movie, but it's not what people were expecting. Well, and then Valerian was that basically. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. But for the opposite but is that reason, an actually a good way. movie? It might be. I need to rewatch it now. I bought it when it came out for all the reasons I just said. I was yeah. like, yeah, Fifth Element, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. And it's often when you have a Hollywood star in a vehicle that's not a Hollywood movie, like Mulholland Drive. I don't set. Yeah, yeah. Naomi yeah. Watts, everyone was like, yeah, oh, this will be. And then it was weird. So everyone thought it was not what they wanted. Yeah. Donnie Darko probably was a bit weirder than people were expecting. Yeah. Children of Men. Cable Guy, like it was. Cable Guy, before. 100%. Um, That's a other very var- good point. Various other Jim Carrey movies. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much most. Any Jim Carrey most movie. Of them since. That's a very good point. It shows you how much, like, the. Whether you like it or not, like, the meta outside of the movie influences what you're seeing in the movie. Like, it does. Yeah. Yeah. An expectation comes with. Yeah, totally. But you would hope it didn't, I guess, but it just does. Oh, I'm, I'm, I was obviously guilty of it. But you think of shows like The Wire, which at the time Idris Elba, no one knew who he was, he's obviously famous now, but all those actors were not famous. No, exactly, there's no expectation. And and there's no they, – they, as far as you can tell, they are those characters, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, whereas you look at, again, Easy Target, but superhero movies, like so much of it is like the talk show circuit doing stupid games on Jimmy Fallon and then it's like, mm. you know, there's it's getting blurrier and blurrier, the difference between Chris Hemsworth and, and Thor. It's mainly the ability to command thunder at this point. Yeah. Like the, you know, it's like they're banking on their personality being the thing. Character. Whereas like a lot of oh, those two guys who were just saying uh, Gary maybe Old- try and separate. Yeah, Gary Oldman's a good one. He's he's yeah. fiercely private. He's yeah. like I don't he's like being famous is a second job. I don't have the energy for that shit. Yeah. I think also the fact that they got people like these comic book artists, like Jean Paul Gaultier for the fashion, like it's yeah. there's something about this and I think he, maybe that's how you can take these shortcuts with the world building. There's some kind of cohesiveness to it all. Like it kind of makes you get it. You watch it and you're like, I kind of get what this – it's weird. Yeah. But it feels like, huh. It just kind of sinks in really quickly. And he's um, – uh, Luc Besson has said, like, oh, so many action movies, all the action is in the dark. I want all of my action to be in the daylight. I want it to be uh. cheerfully crazy and opposite to realistic. Like, let's fucking make a crazy weird art movie. Um, he certainly delivered. Yeah. And the whole opera thing, the, oh, 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 I nearly got not there. Bad, not yeah. bad. It's so weird and it's one of those, I didn't realise how much that scene was a big deal until the rewatch. I was like, I feel like that is one of the most iconic scenes of the whole thing because it's intercutting between a lot of shit going on to, mm. it's a bit of yeah. a climax in the movie. Do you know they, he, they kept her secret from the cast? Yeah, so there was quite a bit of that. So they didn't show what she was going to look like, I think. Yeah, and they, just wanted, the, they wanted to yeah capture the... The natural expression of people seeing her. Yeah, so Bruce's um, taken look he had was genuine, and same goes for when Lilu fell in the it fell in the taxi. He hadn't seen her in costume yet. Um, <laughs> so they, yeah, apparently that was like a thing he kept doing was trying to get these genuine reactions. So, which would be pretty like what the fuck? <laughs> like seeing that for the first laugh. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all the all the words Lilu was saying was a language that Besson created, but so here's where here's where it gets a bit interesting though. So it, for to help her learn this language, um, you know, he, they would have conversations in this language. No one else knew this language. They would write each other letters, and shortly after this film, they would get married. Yes. So, so he would leave his wife, who plays which character? Yes, the opera singer, the diva, who dies metaphorically. Yeah. Well, this is it's so weird because, like, in the movie, the diva is, like, there to save Lilu and doing all these selfless acts for Lilu to survive and, like, you must save her, you must love her. And those words, it's like that's what Luc Besson went and did. Okay. He was married okay. to her. They had a daughter and he left the diva and she has a name, sorry. Her name is Mei Wen. I don't know how to say it. Yeah, I struggle with that. Yeah. Um, and she's an actor and she's a, a film director as well. They were married. They had a kid. Going into this movie, she was hesitant to take the role. She talks about that here. The first time I heard about the diva was in my bed. My fiancé was Luke Besson at this time. 
and uh, we were just becoming together for a few months and he started talking about the diva character. He said, um, maybe I want you to do it. And I said, oh, thank you, but um, if I love you, I want to show you my love that is pure, so I don't want to work with you. Either you choose you are with me and we don't work together, either we're not together and okay, I would do the diva. And he said, I think I prefer to be with you. He was always showing me the, the test for Lilou, for the diva, for Gary Oldman. And one day he showed me the test of the diva and he found a very nice girl. And two days before uh, the the preparation of, the, of her costume, you know, she was supposed to come in London to do the costume, the, the test for the makeup, everything. She disappeared. And he was so stressed on the phone. Where is she? And I told him, oh, come on. Anyway, if she doesn't show up to, in two days, I would do it. But I didn't thought it. Yeah, man. Poor May Wen. Fuck. But yeah. She seems lovely. She seems so lovely. Yeah, so Besson and Mila Jovovich ended up getting married shortly after this movie. They ended up getting divorced uh, uh, shortly after that, two years, two years after that. Two years. But yeah, while we're here, why don't we talk about the diva? It is a weird, like what was her power? Like there's a, I have so many questions of that part. I guess you could kind of sense Lilu and like Bruce and stuff, but like why were the stones inside her stomach? Um, when he had to dig them out, that was hardcore. Because she ate them. Did she know she was going to die? Like, was this all, was it one of those things where she knew what was going to happen and it was just self sacrifice? Hungry. Yeah. This is, <laughs> she was hungry. She, I hear the um, octopus women of planet whatever the fuck uh, consume stones to help with the digestive. Yes, uh, they rub together and break yeah, up the food. Like chickens. But yeah, this is where when you start getting too down in the, Weeds with the plot. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, I, I didn't really think about it. I just kept it. <laughs> but digging through the gut was pretty hardcore, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, can't remember it. Really? That well, that stuck with me from the original watch when he's getting the stones out of a gut and he's just. I might have just been singing at that point. <laughs> the movie's playing in the background. Greg's already up, pirouetting and going. Oh, 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 oh. I was doing the arm thing. <laughs> she was a woman knew how to move her arms, did she not? Um, would you believe that she didn't actually sing that song? Wow. 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 So she was the physical actor playing the role. She was wearing 14-inch stilts, skin-tight foam and latex dress, one single piece with no seams. Yeah. But the voice was done by a soprano opera singer. The song is Il Dolce Suano. Probably didn't say that right, um, which is an aria from the opera Lucia de Lemermo. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's one of the most difficult songs to sing, apparently, and this version in particular is uh, extremely difficult to sing. This is what the, the traditional version kind of sounds like, first of all. So you get it. Sounds familiar, but the beat doesn't quite drop it the same way. No. Um, this is what it was like in the movie with our with our blue diva at the helm.
So that was an actual opera singer. And when she was briefed on this track, this version of this track, she's like, hey, impossible. Impossible. Yeah. Although she wasn't French, so she probably didn't say that. I think she was Albanian or something. Her name, uh, Inva Mula. Um, she was like, it can't be done. You can't do that. That's humanly impossible to sing that song. So what she did was she sang the notes separately and they mushed them together and had a little computer magic to, to make it all work. In saying that, there's been some recent uh, covers hitting the internet in the recent years. Have you seen any of these? Ara showed me one a couple of years ago, which was pretty good, but apparently this guy, Dimash Kudebergen, I think. Sounds right. <laughs> I, think I definitely I, said that wrong. I, I got that one right. I added an extra half syllable for some reason. I, out of respect, I will try that one more time, and I'm sorry I'm getting it wrong. Dimash Kudebergen. I think he's from like a Kazakhstan or something, which because of Borat always sounds fake, but I think him, I think he is. Check this shit out, man. This is him singing it live. Shit is crazy, is it not, man? That is that one really high one. That yeah, I feel like oh. Mariah Carey does that sometimes, doesn't she? Oh yeah, she lives up there. Yeah, she lives up there. That, that's yeah, that's pretty fucking sick. But I think that scene overall, when they're intercutting between the song and like all the stuff that's happening with Lilu and uh, that was that was cool, man. I dig it. I it's cool. dig it. Yeah, it's cool. Um, oh, special effects. FX, please. FX, sorry. Um, We're Hollywood now. I think this is a good balance. Ah, okay. There's a good, some good practical, some good CGI. Yeah. A lot of green screen stuff, but like within that green screen, it's like the, the taxi's real or the, and there's lots of miniatures involved. There's some outdated CGI, though, to be fair. Yeah. But I yeah, think, generally speaking, nice but balance. But I think it kind of works for the charm of this movie still. I think when it's supported by the handiwork of the, uh, Aforementioned Jean-Paul Gaultier and yeah. French artists. Like it's almost just kind of camp. That when it's outdated like that, it looks kind of cheesy. But it kind camp of at the time, wasn't it? Well? I mean, not no. The whole movie's camp, but I just mean the special the CGI parts oh, sorry, where yeah. they don't quite work. It just kind of adds to the camp a little bit. Um, but yeah, the thing I keep meaning to come back to. So the comic book that this. Remember I talked about the yellow taxi in futuristic New York from that comic book that was like, yeah, I got to do, I got to put that in the movie. Well, the follow-up movie he made that everyone was excited about called Valerian. Yes. That comic book I referred to before yes. was from the series of Valerian and Laureline. It's a series of comic books. They've been around since like the late 60s, early 70s. Not to be confused with the Steelmakers. What's the Steelmakers? Valerian. Mm, or Dragonglass. Um, to, to be clear, this gets a little bit murky and I'm going to do my best to articulate it. And it touches on areas that aren't strong subject matter for myself or you. We're not Star Wars people. So a little spoiler, you see where this is going. So the, the aesthetic of this movie was uh, inspired by a comic book, which was one in the series of Valerian. not big Star Wars people. Not big by, Star Wars by people. By Star Wars fans levels. We don't know the details. Yeah. We're, we At a pop cultural level, yes, but we, we don't, don't. We don't wear necklaces with... Figurines on them or collect figurines. <laughs> we don't collect figurines. That one comic book was one book in a series of Valerian and Laureline. The movie that Luc Besson made a few years ago that was the kind of the spiritual successor to this movie was called Valerian and the whatever of many planets, and whatever the, many, the fuck it was called. Yeah, Valerian and the Brotherhood of the Travelling Pants. Yeah, I believe that's what it was called, um, which was now going from just – lifting the aesthetic to actually making that comic book into a movie. Into the pants. Into the pants. Interestingly, people throw around, uh, it's a space opera, it's a this, it's a that, it's a bit Star Wars-esque. It's like Star Wars on acid, they might say. Oh, yeah? 
well, what if I told you, what if Star Wars was was just George Lucas's spin on an old French comic book he may have may not have had access to? What? There's interesting, I mean, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, and I think, you know, everything's a remix and ins- inspiration comes from all directions, and so I wouldn't be surprised if some of this seeped its way into his brain. It's probably not a sinister. It's not the the Japanese Lion King. Yeah, that shit is straight up. <laughs> Although in saying that, it came up on Demolition Man too. Like, I think there was a period where it was pretty easy to just <laughs> steal from other right. other countries because there was no internet. Like, who's going to find a comic book from France? But again, I don't think it was sinister. But there are definitely overlapping elements here. Oh, and sorry, in terms of the timeline, this came out like I said, like late late sixties, early seventies, before Star Wars. Just to be clear. Um, one of the main ships looked like the Millennium Falcon, broadly speaking. That iconic Princess Leia bikini thing that nerds freak out over, very similar to something worn by the female character in this comic. Red-blooded nerds. <laughs> yes. Darth Vader, you know, evil guy in a black suit, lift off his helmet and he's all messed up, mangled inside, also in Valyrian. Penis-shaped helmet? Less penis-y. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, well, yeah. Less, less of a bell end type of yeah. Um, a clone army apparently was a big part of uh, Valyrian. Um, you know that big that fly character in Star Wars. No, that one of those big blue fly looking thing. There was one that looked almost exactly the same in Valyrian, and it, oh. all these themes seem pretty common now. Fly characters and whatnot, but you got to remember there were, these were these were all new at the time. Uh, yeah. Han Solo being frozen in carbonite. Valerian was was stuck in a in a plastic in type, type of thing, so it's interesting. And there's some visual references here that make it make a lot more sense. I'll put that on Instagram. But yeah, it's interesting. I don't. It's not as black and white as Kimber the White Lion. And it's definitely Lion worth King. a little hey. Yeah, it's worth it. There's something going on here. I wouldn't say it's a total ripoff though. And they never really, other than a few cheeky nods within the comic book. Where like a Princess Leia looking character meets you know these other characters and they're like oh hey what are you doing here? They never really did anything official with it and they just tried yeah. to differentiate themselves more. So good for them. Good for them. <laughs> good for them. This, oh, real quick one. Uh, it's the future, so I feel like it's only fair to evaluate what they got right. Oh yeah. Um, androgynous fashion. Ooh. Yeah. Like, have you seen Pharrell? Like, as of now, Pharrell's latest GQ cover. Wearing a very, he could be out of this movie, couldn't he? He could, straight up, bright. Yeah, this is a world robe thing. Exactly, this is a world where Jaden Smith uh, was a model for female Gucci, was it? Line, I can't remember. Um, He's modeling female clothes, haven't we all? Yeah, three D printing. Oh, for the guns. Yeah, and for Lilu being built. And for Lilu. And for Lilu, Um, GPS in the taxi. It's pretty strong. Oh yeah. Mm. And um. That's all I got really for that. But that's not bad for something that's pretty much pure fantasy. Um, mm. Flying cars. Flying cars, we're getting there. But they were not going to have drivers. That's the other point too. No taxis, no drivers probably either. Um, small apartments with compact living. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Let's glad wrap on beds. Oh, yeah. So wait, <laughs> when that guy, when he freezes those, do those people die in the freezer? Unclear. Yeah. Did he come back later at the end? He came back. No, I don't think he did. He? I don't think he did. Because I always thought, oh, that's funny. And then They're this dead. time I was like, wait, are they dead? Uh, that that actor died a couple of years later. From did he? Att- from a heart attack. He was from um, Blade Runner. He's one of the replicants in Blade Runner. He's in a bunch of things. Yeah, he's in a few Bruce Willis movies, actually. Um, he's a good bad guy. He is a good bad guy. He's got that face. I'll fucking kill ya face. Yeah. Oh, man. I feel like we, we've danced around a little bit. We probably need to address that elephant in the room. I've got to be honest, man. I only found this today. It's just... Uh, yeah. So the director of this movie is a bit uh, questionable in some of his uh, behavior. A few young wives. A few young wives. So 15... When he was 33. <laughs> so the actress that played the diva, they met when she was 12. They started dating when she was 15 and she had his child when she was 16. How he old was he? he was 30 something. I can't find it. He was 30 something, like 32 or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like that's just not cool, man. And there's been a few allegations. Quite a few of late, I believe. Quite a few. And it's one of those ones where Stacking at first up. 
when you love the thing this person produces, your like your cognitive dissonance or whatever you call it, where you're like, yeah, but you know, that's one person. There's quite a few, and it really makes you. Uh, I don't even know how to talk about it. Now that we've learned it, you can't not talk about it. So we have to report the facts. This this is stuff that happened. This is stuff. These are allegations. He married her and had a kid with her very young. There's other allegations that sound not great. And he he might be held, a bit of a dickhead. And he grabbed hold of a Yovovich on set. Did he? Well, he married her. Oh, sorry. Grabbed yeah, I thought you sorry. Meant- not 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 literally. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and poor choice of words. So that part I learned earlier on in the research, and I was like, okay, yeah, a bit of a jerk. But then it's gone all the way from just being a bit of a jerk all the way through to like, ah, oh, fuck, man. And then the, it really, really makes Leon a bit. Exactly. So this is the guy that made Leon. And how old is she in that movie? A kid. And fuck, this is not soon after he's married this other woman that who he started dating when she was like, it's, there's issues there, man. It's, it's fucked. Yeah. And again, this is not something we aim to solve on this podcast. We just need to report the facts. But man, it's a struggle. It really is a struggle to then. Look at this movie with a clear lens. Like that fucks a lot of shit up. Mm-hmm. Not a great dude. Um, saying that, should we should we get to the verdict? Yeah. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. What do you say, Greg? Watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, watch it. I mean, fuck. It feels weird to say it immediately after what we said before, but I don't know, pirate, I guess. Just watch it so he doesn't get the revenue. Who's your MVP? Um... Third robot. <laughs> uh, I forgot to do my MVPs this week. That's okay, Greg. Oh, do you have any recasties? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to hear them? Corbin Dallas. Mm-hmm. I had Robert Patterson. Interesting. Lilu. Yeah. I had Zoe Kravitz. Thought you'd go there. I really thought you'd Gary go Gary Oldman. I had that other indie guy you sent to me today. Paul Dano. And Chris Tucker and Jonah I was thinking Hill. Brad Pitt for the bad guy. Jonah the Zorg. What do all those actors have in common? They're all in Batman? Yeah. <laughs> this movie is Batman. <laughs> Greg was heavily influenced by the last article you read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there. Yeah. No, I think you could have... Um, is that why you're laughing to yourself in the cab? Yes. <laughs> it's exactly why I was laughing. <laughs> the funny part was I didn't actually quite pick up on that. Yeah, no, you were like, oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're all topical Um, from the same thing. Yeah. Gorbin Dallas could be the Normcore guy. He's the Normcore guy. Transformers kid. Shia. Shia LaBeouf. LaBeouf, yeah. He could do that role. He actually really could do that role, couldn't he? Lilu. Yeah. Emma Watson. Interesting. That's as far as I got. Yeah. Matt Damon is the old priest. Oh, yeah, that works. I could see um, Brad Pitt as Zorg. Ooh, yeah. That could be quite good. He'd be great. Yeah, he'd be he pretty good. He can put him in this one. He can put him in this one. Well, my MVP is has to be uh, Mila Jovovich, which is the heart and soul of this movie. Really? <laughs> I think the big part of the way this movie works, it kind of melts your heart with her performance, sucks you right in there. And that's the other thing I think overarching I forgot to say is like the mix of weird zaniness and like straight up comedy, even like slapsticky kind of comedy, but then like genuine moments, that's a very delicate equation yeah. to, to pull off. And it does. And I think a big part of that is her because you're yeah. genuinely buying into, you know, multipass, all that uh, kind of stuff. Do you know what I haven't mentioned? What? Uh, second week in a row that Gennady gets a shout out. Hey! Because oh. for a period of time we called the fifth element haircut the Gennady because – Cut his hair one time and looked like Gary Oldman. <laughs> Did he have a little soul patch? Should have grown a soul patch. He's, he can't. He's <laughs> incapable. He gets whiskers like a catfish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I would say 
I would say Greg and I probably fully haven't reconciled what we've learned about this director and what we like about this movie. It's all happened very quickly, but the movie on its merits is a rewatch. This dude sounds like a dickhead, so try not to give him revenue in your rewatching efforts. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess that's probably it. You got Just something else? Be nice. Be nice. Be work hard and be good to people. Yeah, that's what Conan O'Brien says. Work hard and be good to people. Yeah, friends of the show. Yeah. Shout out to our people that are dropping us uh, little little DMs through the Instagram telling us that they're enjoying the show. Yeah, love that. means the world to us. means everything to us. Especially when they're in faraway lands. Yeah. It's so nice to know that people actually listen um, that we aren't married to. And, yeah. and when they're from faraway, faraway lands, we love hearing from you. So don't hesitate. Drop yeah, us a drop line. Drop us a line. Leave us a review on, on Apple Podcasts. That helps us a lot. And um, we won't mention any of the cast of this movie being short. We haven't <laughs> talked about height this episode. So we're We've really alienated our, you know, below five foot six uh, listeners, haven't we? Below five seven, yeah. Five seven, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, um, you know where to find us. Um, Instagram, Dublin Pat Podcast. What's coming up next? Gmail, Dublin Pat Podcast at Gmail. Sorry. Uh, what's going on next? <laughs> so we're hitting episode number 40. What does that mean? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, I forget which one it death, is. It's Death Warrant. Death Warrant. All right, let's get out of here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye